0: Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow, and protect your wealth.
1: Hi and welcome to Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NowTrades Director of SMSF and Investor Behavior. Given how much changes in the world of markets and personal finance, particularly over the last year, we don't usually have much of a schedule of topics for this podcast we tend to take the most relevant and interesting topics uh, that come to us. But one tradition we do have after three and a half years is a currency outlook in February, which has become really popular and very useful for a lot of our listeners. This is actually the fourth time our guest has joined us to give his views on the Australian dollar, the US dollar, and we're gonna cover crypto this time because that's something that's very relevant. He's such a good guy to talk to. Ray Atrill is the head of foreign exchange strategy for NAB and also one of the voices of the NAD Markets team's very popular daily podcast, The Morning Call. Ray, thanks so much for joining me.
0: Thanks for having me, John.
1: Again. Is it the fourth time? It's the fourth time.
0: I've lost a little bit of hair since the first time.
1: (laughs) It's a podcast. No one cares. (laughs) brilliant. So 2020, no one is ever going to hold anyone to account for their forecast prior to February, thankfully, uh, because it was quite an interesting year. It gave us all an idea of what can happen uh, if you... I believe you can predict the future, but can you tell us a little bit about
0: what your forecasts were and how they held up? Well, I was just remind, trying to remind myself, because obviously, as you say, 2020 was an amazing year in so many respects, um, and if I look at the Aussie dollar, for example, the range that we had from start to finish was, we were a low of 55 cents at the in March this year, and we ended the year at 77 cents, so we had a 22 cent range. And if I look back to 2019, we had a six cent range. So it just illustrates just how much volatility there has been, obviously in all asset markets, but in currencies in particular. Um, And you have to go back to the global financial crisis 2009 to find a bigger annual range for the Aussie dollar. I think it was 31 cents something like that, in 2009, in the wake of the the Lehman collapse. um, Where we were at the beginning of 2020, our forecast, Aussie dollar was trading around 70 cents, and our forecast for the end of the year was a really boring 71 cents. (laughs) If you think that's boring, the consensus, I was just looking up the Bloomberg consensus as of 1st of January 2019, and it was 70 cents. So the consensus view was that the currency was going to do nothing.
1: Nothing was going to happen. Really boring year. So
0: um, yes, and then you know, obviously, what did happen was that you know we went to that low of fifty five. So our forecast at the beginning of the year was saying that we think the choice Aussie dollar will be a little bit stronger. Um, Midway through the year, obviously after all this volatility, and the Aussie dollar was back on the ascendancy, or in the ascendancy, we lifted our forecast to seventy four cents for the end of the year, and then in the beginning of December. So we've made that forecast, I think, in June. Beginning of December, we were trading exactly at 74 cents. So we were doing a lap of honour and um, claiming victory. Um, and then three weeks later, we were up at 77 cents. So um, so we sort of paused the victory lap. Although, looking back, um, every three months, Bloomberg come up with a report on who's the best currency forecaster of the last three months. So for the fourth quarter of 2020, we um, This is shameless self publicity. Um, NAB and BNZ, our colleagues across the ditch, uh, collectively, uh, our forecasts for G10 currencies um, as of the end of 2020 were the best in the market. So, um, on a relative basis, at least, we're claiming victory, even though we fell a few cents short of the actual outcome for the year.
1: So you can't see me. I'm laughing all the way through this because I love the fact that you guys give yourself an award every quarter. Like
0: it must get moved around. Well, but it's a bit like a you know stock clock is right twice a day. Okay, I've been forecasting currencies for 20 years. So as long as you buy a lottery ticket every three months, there's a good chance that once in a while you know you're going to come first. And so currently we're reigning world currency forecasting champions. We're going to hold that record probably until the end of the first quarter of this year.
1: Oh, well done, that's excellent. (laughs) In a very tricky year, that's very impressive. It's very impressive. It it was a a pretty wild ride. And I think what's been so astonishing for everybody is we're not through this yet. We're still in some extraordinary times. So what are your thoughts about where you find ourselves now as reigning world champions? Mm -hmm. What are you thinking? Uh,
0: Well, um, our view, in a nutshell, is that we think there's more upside to this running dollar. So we've come all the way from a low of... 55 cents up to I say 77 cents at the end of at the end of 2020. And we're sitting here today midway through February and we're almost exactly 77 cents. So we sort of moved into what I would call a sort of a sideways trading pattern. A lot of that has to do with the, the US dollar. So you know, whenever we talk about what the Australian dollar's doing, you know, 90% of our thought process is, is really understanding what's driving the US dollar. Um and although we've had some period of stability, which to some extent is related to the change of presidency and perhaps expectations that the Biden presidency some of the actions that they may take, particularly on the on the spending side of the, the fiscal equation, may end up seeing the US economy doing better than it otherwise might. Um, and that sort of stabilized the US dollar, which has been a strong downtrend. Um, but to our mind, the, the US dollar still has further to fall the declines in. US interest rates in particular over the last couple of years still have a long way to play out. And if that is the case, and that is going to undermine the US dollar, which is our forecast, then almost by definition, the Australian dollar is going to be stronger. So suffice to say, if the US dollar is going down, almost every other currency in the world is going up and vice versa. So on that Basis, we're thinking there's more upside for the Australian dollar this year, and we're forecasting a move up to 80 cents by the middle of the year, and we think second half of the year, we could be, uh, you know, perhaps more of an 80 to 85 cent range against the US dollar. So we pinned the tail on the donkey for the end of 2021 at 83 cents at the moment. Yeah, wow. Uh, which is is a fair bit stronger than the, the consensus. Um, so just looking at the... Again, what Bloomberg is saying, they're polling probably 50 or 60 firms on a regular basis. And, uh, and the current consensus for the end of this year is 78 cents. So remarkable, isn't it? So you put all these forecasts together, and as was the case in 2020 and probably 2019, the median, if you like, or the average, comes out very, very close to the prevailing exchange rate. And that's where the market is sitting collectively. But obviously, within that. You've got a big range of estimates. But that 83 cents that i mentioned... Is pretty much the top end of the range of, of market ex, of market expectations. So, um, so we're probably a little bit more bullish on the and than, than most others in the market at this that stage.
1: That's really interesting. When you say there's fifty to sixty times, it's a little bit, a little bit more of an achievement to be at the top end there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so we only have one lottery ticket as well. <laughs> anyway, we, we didn't gain the system.
1: You did very well. It's, uh, now you've got this year's some positive that, That'll be really interesting. So, okay, so. Above 80 cents, that's quite exciting for a few people, depending on what kind of business you're in, and that's very relevant. So NAB, I mentioned this frequently, but it does matter. NAB's a big business bank, right? So we bank a lot of businesses, and that is sort of the core of NAB as a business, looking at what businesses do. So currency forecasting really matters Absolutely. to a lot of our clients. It's not, you know, a nice-to-know or an irrelevant detail. So a lot of people who... Uh, whose fortunes are pinned to the Australian dollar in one way or another, or to the US dollar, or to what's happening in China. So what do you think the key drivers are going to be this year? I mean, obviously last year the key drivers turned out to be somewhat different to what most of us anticipated. What are you thinking yeah. for this year? Yeah.
0: Well, absolutely right. I mean, the, you know, the lesson of, of, of last year, particularly when you know, the bottom fell out of the Australian dollar and we were down 55 cents at the low point, it's just a very stark reminder that when bad things happen in the world, um, for whatever reason, the Australian dollar is a currency that tends to suffer, and that really reflects um, you know, a lot of things, but, but in particular, um, what happens to commodity prices. So if we're facing a global recession, and clearly you know, the world economy fell into you know, a recession that was as deep as, as anything that we've seen since the 1930s, effectively, certainly far exceeding the GFC. You know, one of the ways that that negatively impacts on the currency is because the Australian dollar historically is very, very correlated with commodity prices. We are a small open economy. We have a large export sector. We dig um, we dig a lot of rocks and crops out of the ground and sell them to the rest of the world. And the price that we get for those commodities has a big bearing on the overall wealth. Of the country, and uh, and that shows up in this very strong relationship. So, so when the world goes to proverbial hell in the handbasket, uh the markets worry about the health of the global economy, commodity demand tends to fall, commodity prices fall, and that feeds through into the weaker Australian dollar. But it's also a risk sensitivity as well. So, remember, Australia is a is a pretty indebted country. We still, you know, we owe the rest of the world a trillion Australian dollars, which is the collective borrowing. The governments, companies and banks have, have, have made over the years that still has to be paid back at, at some point. So we're beholden to the kindness of strangers to continue to fund our, uh, our excesses, if you like, our outstanding debts. And again, if, if the world becomes very risk-off and global investors become very cautious and they want to you know, bring their money home and put it under the proverbial mattress, the Australian dollar you know, tends to be a currency that suffers as people retreat from... Being as willing to invest in places like Australia as they have before. It's why you see currencies like the Japanese yen or the Swiss franc do well during those periods because these are countries with huge pools of savings. They're lending to the rest of the world rather than borrowing. If they decide to bring their money back, it creates a flow that supports the currency. So, um, so all that but to say, our forecast for our optimistic forecast partly is because, as I say, we think the US dollar is further to fall. But we also think that you know the commodity the commodity price story is, is, has been a very positive one. It's been the main reason that the Aussie dollar has recovered as well as it has. And we probably only need commodity prices to hold up at the sort of levels that we're seeing today to justify still higher levels of the global economy. Okay? Now, obviously, there are some big assumptions about that. In particular, you know, the market is is this sort of is priced and certainly the global stock markets priced on the basis that look forward into the second half of the year. We're going to have this, this vaccine rollout It's going to prove very successful. It's going to allow economies to reopen. Um, so we're going to see much, much stronger economic activity coming through um, as the economies reopen, assuming that the vaccination program is successful. Um, and that underpins a fairly positive outlook for commodity prices on top of the fact that China, which was obviously first in and first out of the pandemic, um, you know, has really revved this economy back up to the levels that existed prior to the pandemic. And that's been a, a real driving force behind commodity price strength, which is why it's fed into the, the Aussie dollar being one of the strongest performing currencies. So that's the underlying assumptions that we will see continued buoyancy in most commodity prices. Um, and if that's the case, then simply mapping you know, our expectations there against the currency gets us, you know, comfortably above 80 cents as we go through the year. If those assumptions prove misplaced, so if a, say a strain of the virus comes along that proves to be, you know, um, or current vaccines proved to be ineffective against, then that will challenge the underlying assumptions about global economy reopening. That happens, there's no doubt that equity market, I'm not an equity specialist, but I'll guarantee you mm. that if, you know, optimistic assumptions about the world economy prove to be wide of the mark, then risk sentiment will deteriorate. That will be an enemy of the Australian dollar and commodity prices won't be nearly as strong as they are today. And that will be, so it will be a double whammy for Australian dollars. So if we look back at the end of the year, we're doing this next year and the Aussie dollars at 50 cents, I'll be pretty sure that that will be the reason why rather than, than any other factor.
1: That's really interesting. I know you're going to talk about risks to your forecast in a second. You've mentioned a couple already. Um, one random data point that I find really interesting, I've mentioned on this before, my father's a virologist, which is an interesting career to have at this point in time. He does something useful, right? You <laughs> and
0: well, I sitting here, you know,
1: pontificating, pontificating about cancers now. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, so he works as a plant virologist, which most people wouldn't have been aware was a thing, um, and has been doing that for 50 years. So, not people, plants, but he was making the point recently, and uh, he gets us to contribute to lots of things, uh, that you need very wide-scale vaccination very, very quickly to get on top of the different strains that might mutate. And that's the challenge we're facing now. we're saying, you know, it's not 70% of the population, it's above 90% of the population you need to wow. vaccinated wow. in order to prevent these mutations getting out into the population. And the risk that one of those mutations may well be uh, or the, vaccine, to the yeah, resistant and the, wow. the vaccine may not be effective against yeah. it is quite high if you don't have that level. Yeah. A vaccination. I was like, oh, that's a terrifying statement, thanks very much. But, but that's really,
0: I mean, that is really interesting because mm-hmm. at the moment, if I look at what's happening in my world of foreign exchange, mm-hmm. the strongest currency in the world in the last month has been the British pound. Mm-hmm. And not coincidentally, the Brits are rolling out the vaccine faster than any other country in the world by Israel. OK, so, so if you look at the UK, it's probably 25% of the population have been vaccinated. If you look at Germany or Italy, France, it's about 5%, and the US is somewhere in between. So markets are saying, well, looking later in the year, at what point are we going to get a level of vaccination that will allow the economies to reopen? And the market's taking a very positive view of the UK, mm-hmm. even though the UK's had an extraordinary time, probably worse than any other developed economy as far as dealing with the with the vaccine. Um, but to your point, it's not, you know, we're going to get to 70% and then we reopen. Um, there's a lot of scepticism. So, you know, I'm looking at surveys now saying "Well, how much scepticism about willingness to, 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 to be vaccinated across countries could become relevant. So let's say, you know, three to six months time, you know, most countries are up to 60 or 70%, but we need to get to 80 or 90% for that proper herd immunity to kick in. Then we might be looking saying, well, France is you know, only 60% of French population say that they, they're willing to have the vaccine, whereas 90% of Koreans or Australians might say we're going to be vaccinated. So that could become a relevant market factor as we go through the year in terms of you know, who's going to get to that very high level. Mm-hmm. It's really necessary, as you say, to stop community transmission in its track and to stop, you know, mutant, you know, variants of the virus coming. So I think that's going to be. An interesting point and again it could be something that unsettles markets later in the year um if we see vaccination on the story that's like 70 percent in some countries then the market might have to reassess its, its optimism about you know full economic reopening being achievable before the end of the
1: year is the risk to australia because we've been very slow on the vaccine rollout it's it's quite fascinating, you know, so sort of commentary from overseas now going, What do you mean you haven't started yet? I mean, yeah. um, you know, when you have countries like the UK where the 25% of the population yeah. told mm-hmm. had at least one, mm. one dose of the vaccine, is there a risk to the Aussie because we are quite slow? We haven't started yet.
0: Um, I don't think so in the sense that because you know we handled the virus, handle exactly the virus quite so quite well, because we have close and New Zealand this, isn't it? That's the other example of New Zealand this, is the the poster child, isn't it, for, for effectively dealing with um, community infections, et cetera, and their economy has come roaring back uh, effectively. So we are in a situation in Australia here where our economy is particularly locked down. Okay, we're still wearing face masks on the train coming into, you know, coming into Winyard this morning, but um, compared to, you know, Germany and the UK, and et cetera, et cetera, and the US in terms of, you know, how much restrict how, how much restriction is in place that is, is preventing their economies from from performing as well as they would do. Um, so at the moment that the, the potential slow max rollout of vaccinations here isn't really you know a factor. So I don't think it's um you know something that um the currency market should worry about. It's amazing so many domestic factors in Australia have, have so little bearing on the value of the Australian dollar. Okay if we go back to um, you know, well, it's still relevant now. But Australia and China have obviously been embroiled in something of a trade war. Um, so, and yet the impact on the currency has really been quite severe. So, it's obviously, some sectors, if you're a wine exporter or you're a cotton maker or you're a barley grower, you know, your 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 you know your industry has been decimated to some extent. Although, for a lot of sectors, you know, companies have found alternative markets. But it's quite amazing how limited the impact of it, what is a very important local factor has, you know, surprisingly little impact. So it really is global factors, what's driving the US dollar, what's driving global demand for commodities that ultimately is going to win out. So I don't think, you know, the vaccine or slow vaccine experience is going to be a particular material factor for the currency in. So
1: the point about China is fascinating because that was one of the questions I was going to ask you when you were talking about resource yeah. prices and you have... Um, you know, our biggest export markets and we don't want your coal anymore right. and we'll hold ships, or ships offshore for months on end right. rather than let the land. How likely is that to have an impact? But you're telling me it doesn't really matter. Mm. But
0: it could have done because mm. after iron ore, mm. coal is the, the second biggest bit of export by by value to China. Um, but um, the one downside of doing a podcast is that I can't show you a chart. <laughs> what you would see is that exports of coal to China have effectively fallen to zero because, as you say, all the ships have been held up. They've not been allowed to, uh, you know, to dock and to unload. But if you look at um, Australian coal exports to places like India and Korea and Japan, they have more than made up the gap. So coal is a globally traded commodity, and effectively coal miners have been very, very quick to find alternative. Sources for coal. Okay, so the overall impact on Australia's trade position in terms of the value of exports, as far as coal is concerned, haven't been affected at all. Um, iron ore prices have been on a tear, and you know that's held up the overall value of exports. So for some sectors, it's been problematic. So if you're a barley grower, for example, now fortunately, they've, so China has been a, you know, the biggest buyer of Australian barley. They use it for malt, use it to make beer. <laughs> Saudi Arabia and the UAE use barley to feed their sheep, and Aust- you know, Australia has actually been able to, to dramatically increase its barley exports to the Middle East, effectively. So they've um, been at quite the same prices that the Chinese might pay. So there's lots of good examples where yeah, companies have, have been able to, uh, you know, to find alternative markets. The one area that I know that our soft commodity specialists are worried about is, is, is the fibre industry. So if you're thinking about cotton, you're thinking about wool because China has an absolute you know, lock on textile production globally. So it's not easy if you're a, a wool grower or a cotton um, grower to quickly find alternative markets. So some sectors are clearly you know, in a world of pain because of this dispute. But again, at the, if you add it all up and put it at sort of the global macro level, um, the impact is actually pretty minor. And again, that's probably why the currency has really come to any great harm today. that.
1: So are there risks that do concern you? Because we've talked about a couple that don't seem very mm. significant at this point, but there are others that might be more significant.
0: Well, anything, I mean, there's still, um, anything that impacts risk sentiment is going to hurt the Australian dollar, either temporarily or from a I minute mean, go back to March, April. It's amazing how rapidly the Australian dollar came back, and that obviously is a t- testament to, the power of policymakers, whether they're central banks or governments, to to fire up the printing presses or go on these massive spending binges, and that restored the health of the equity market and credit markets far faster than I think anyone would have imagined before the event. Um, But anything that comes along that does impact Sentiment. So geopolitics is always kind of there, as in the background. As one of the tail this sort of risk factors, and uh, and Taiwan looks to be a particular potential flashpoint. Um, you know, in, the, in the, during the sort of the new Biden administration, for example. Um, so anything that happens, sort of in the, in the South China Sea, for example, you know, will certainly be a concern. As I say, I think it's still you know the biggest single risk. Do relate to the anything that punches the optimism about what the global economy might look like, you know, six or nine months hence, you know, and I'm going to say the most obvious example is that, you know, there's a new strain of the virus that's resistant to current vaccines, for example. Um, you know, anything that, uh, and coming back to the commodity story, you know, anything that seriously impacts on commodity prices is going to have a negative impact. But again, you know, that's going to require you know, the global demand story to, to not play out nearly as, as positively as is currently expected. So... Anything there is obviously going to be you know, going to be significant. But um, so there's still, you know, something will come along. You know, the virus hit the world from left field, and maybe there's something else waiting in the wings. But um, it's not part of our, our base case at the moment anyway.
1: I like your optimism. I think it makes us all feel good. <laughs> so people are very optimistic this year. But the conversations I'm having are really, really positive. And people are obviously aware of the tail risks, mm-hmm. you know, such as those you mentioned. We can't have this conversation not mention interest rates. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I said, we've been doing this for four years now and they've taken quite a hit, <laughs> quite a hit, not much right. further to go, mm-hmm. effectively zero, expected to remain so, yeah. and not even expected, I mean explicitly stated that they will remain right. so for mm-hmm. quite some time. For quite a while, the Australian dollar was supported by interest rate arbitrage, right? You could get right. 0% yeah. on your money in the US if you were... Able to move your money around the world to get the best rate you would come to Australia and get 2%, and that was quite marvellous compared to the alternative. Now you're going to get 0% here too, or marginally better if you're lucky. What about ultra-low rates having on the currency at this point?
0: Well, the short answer is that the currency is lower than it otherwise would be if interest rates were still favourable compared to the rest of the world, okay? So, so interest rates are important. So if I say, you know, I've got, I'm have got, i a golfer and I've got two clubs that I can use to get around the course um, and, you know, effectively to forecast the Australian dollar, the two things that I would pick would be commodity prices and interest rates, okay? So my interest rates relative to yours and you know, to what extent that makes financial investments in Australia relatively attractive. Um, but everybody's at zero now. So, you know, I could argue that if interest rates didn't matter then the currency today would probably already be well north of, of 80 cents against the us dollar you couldn't say it could be 90 cents for example okay so so clearly interest rates have, have held the currency back so one of its sort of key attractions has, has disappeared um but the impact of interest rates relative to commodity prices is actually quite small And this is a you know i'm saying argument i'm having with the reserve bank of australia here but um, Literally this week, they've come out and said that they think because of the actions that they've taken, not just lowering the conventional interest rate, the cash rate, but also engaged in the money printing exercise called quantitative easing, that other central banks have agreed to buy 100 billion Aussie dollars worth of bonds last November, and then they're going to buy another 100 billion dollars when that runs out from the middle of March. Um, And that has clearly had an impact, not just on... The overnight rate, if you like, or the you know the cash rate at the very short end of the market, um, but also bond yields further along the curve, and that's really what's important from a sort of investment flows and the currency perspective. Um, and the RBA is saying, look, we think interest rates here, say at five years or ten years, are maybe 30 basis points, third of a percent lower than they would have been had we not done that, and then they are claiming that because of that, the currency is five percent lower. Than it otherwise would be. But they're also looking at a different model than I am, because if I look at my little two-club model of the Aussie dollar and I say, okay, well, what if I make Australian interest rates 30 basis points lower than they are than um, today relative to the US, what's that worth for the currency? And the model tells me it's about one cent. (laughs) <laughs> and they're claiming three or four cents. Okay, now that may be missing something. I'm not sure they're very very clever people down at Martin Place, but um, to some extent, I think that you know their claim about how much the Aussie dollar is being held back which clearly is clearly what they want because they are concerned about the competitiveness of the export sector if the currency rises too fast. Um, but their power to actually influence it, I think, is, is not as great as, as perhaps they would like you to believe. And our view is that you know even with interest rates staying at zero, as you say, they've already said, we're not going to be raising rates at least until 2024, right? And they clearly want to see the unemployment rate got to come down, wages have got to start rising, and uh, the prospect for that happening in a meaningful way, the next two or three years are practically zero. Um, so, but even if we assume rates are zero for another four or five years, if the commodity price story is correct, that will be the overwhelming influence. So... You know, we will still end up with a lower than otherwise currency, but that doesn't stop the Aussie dollar going to eighty or eighty-five cents over the next you know,
1: six months to two years. Interesting perspective. I want to have a about that. It is hard to believe that thirty basis points would have a very, very material impact on the currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, as a layperson, it doesn't feel. Mm-hmm. Super. <laughs> I Super to. I mean, the other
0: thing with interest rates that um, this is a little bit arcane, but it's not. You know, what do I? If I lend my money to America to the American government, are they going to mm. pay me one? Well, they're going to pay me one point two percent for ten years. Mm. I can lend my money to. The Australian government, and they'll pay me 1.2%. The, the, the difference between them is effectively zero. Mm. But what actually is important is what does that mean in real terms? Mm. So what does it mean after accounting for inflation? Mm. So when we think about the influence of interest rates on currencies, we actually have to say, well, if the US has got you know, a 1.2% interest rate but its inflation rate is 2.5%, mm. actually the real return from lending in money to America is actually negative. It's actually negative. To the tune of about one percent at the moment. Okay, here inflation is actually a little bit lower. So if I look at the the difference in real terms, Australia is actually slightly more attractive than the US. Okay, so um, and going back to the conversation about the US dollar, it's the fall in US interest rates in real terms, adjusted so for inflation, that actually has the biggest influence on the US dollar. But often with very long lags. Interest rates change, it takes a long time for investment managers to, to get their act together and say, we don't want to invest in the US as much as we did. Um, you know, So actually, it, it might be that in one year's time, the US dollar reflects what happens to interest rates a year ago. Okay, if The lags can be that long, and that comes back to saying, look, US interest rates have been falling since 2019. It was only in 2020 that the US dollar started responding to that. And because we think that therefore still has a long way to play out, because the Fed isn't going anywhere either for the next few years, they've said they want inflation well above 2% before we think about acting on rates. So we'd be pretty sure that rates are staying down there. And we think that still has you know, a way to play out as US dollar weakness is concerned, the flip side of which is the stronger Aussie dollar. Are you worried about inflation? There's a lot of talk
1: about inflation at the moment. Uh and sort of rising bond year yields as a result. It's, it's sort of the last few days. It feels like a very recent mm-hmm. conversation that's suddenly everywhere. It has,
0: because rates have gone up pretty quickly. You mm. know? They were you know, below 120, 1.2% in the US mm. last week, and they've been up to 1.33. Mm. It doesn't sound like a long but it sounds Given how low they are to start with, these mm. are actually quite big moves. So you're right, In mm. debate. So I was just literally passing around a... Um, and you spoke out in the Financial Times this morning, literally, which is talking about, you know, how far would if bond yields continue to rise, could that actually really start to upset the equity markets? Because a big driver of the stock market recovery in 2020 has really been the fact that interest rates have gone effectively to zero. So if you're discounting, you know, what's an equity worth that's giving me a a three or four percent, you know, coupon um, or dividend a year, the lower the what we call the risk-free interest rate is, which is the US government bond yield, the more that income stream is worth, right? So put that into reverse, if US bond yields went back to where they were before the pandemic started, which was around 2%, then that's really gonna ask questions of stock market valuations. And this is a current podcast, but it's uh, it's very relevant because if, some, if if bond yields rise and equity markets take fright, the Aussie dollar will suffer. So there is a link back to the currency there. Um, so it's the question of inflation. I mean, that's why the U.S. bond market in particular is starting to get pretty nervous because they're thinking about not just the, the stimulus that's already coming down the pipeline from the last, um, you know, knockings of the Trump administration. They passed this nine hundred billion dollar COVID relief plan, and we saw that. So everybody in America got a check for 600 dollars in December. Retail sales in January in the US reported this week went up 5%. <laughs> so you know, the old adage is in America, give them the money and they'll spend it. And so there's a genuine concern that the, the amount of spending that could be unleashed once people are allowed out more, particularly in the service sector, you know, could be inherently inflationary. So the concerns are there. Um, my sense would be that there's far more chance that we'll see inflation breaking out in the United States than there is here. Down here, ultimately, you know, inflation is driven really by the labor market and wages. So unless or until we can get the unemployment rate down to well below 5%, and the RBA talks about it needing to be 4 point something, that's the kind of minimum prerequisite for wage pressures starting to emerge as companies are competing for labor. And historically here, without wages growing at at least 3%, it's been very difficult for the RBA to achieve its inflation target of between 2 and 3%. So I'm much less concerned about inflation here than I might be another part of the world, the US in particular.
1: We'll keep an eye on that one. It's it's fascinating how quickly it's become an issue, Mm -hmm. Uh, and we'll see whether it remains one because it certainly hasn't been for the last few years. Sure. So the final question, we've never asked this before, and so I did give you a heads up this one was coming, but I think it's just so relevant for so many investors now, not because they have a strong view on it, but they feel like they should have, and that is digital currencies. So we are now seeing companies, large Publicly listed companies invest their assets in Bitcoin. We're seeing the Bitcoin price uh, stated in the evening news. I don't know if anyone watches the evening news anymore, but wherever you get your financial information for the market closed this, the currency is this, the gold price is this, the Bitcoin price is this. You know, suddenly it's become news, it's become uh, requisite financial news. It is a question that people are asking, right? Do I need to consider digital currencies? What's the impact? Are they likely to replace existing currencies, blah, blah, blah. I will tell a funny story because you've got some friends who've done very well out of holding Bitcoin forty bought it years ago, right, and just a random speculative investment. And we said to them, hey, how are you doing with your Bitcoin? They said, it's very good. We don't know how to sell it. This is very, very difficult to liquidate your investment in Bitcoin. So we are looking very good on a screen but not so great in our bank account. So that's excellent. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have bought it if you don't know how to get out. But anyway, pretty funny. Is this something you guys are keeping an eye on? Is this an area? There are pundits, very, very successful, well-known individuals who are like, this is the future. This is the new currency. This is going to replace the US dollar. What are your thoughts? Well,
0: I get asked this question now by journalists, and they come on to me because I'm the currency strategist at NAP. And I say... I don't have to answer that question because whatever bitcoin is it's not a currency okay so if you think about you know the economic textbooks that i grew up with a long time ago admittedly and you know the definition of money or currency is that it's a unit of account it's a means of exchange and it's a store of value okay so arguably um is it a unit of account? well not really most goods and services aren't priced in, in bitcoins in that sense it's not um, is it a means of payment? Well, it seems if you're in the market for a Tesla, then it sounds like you can. You know, Elon Musk is happy to take your money in in Bitcoin. Um, is it a store of value? Okay. So well, if I bought it at 100 and it's now worth 50,000, I certainly think it is. But then, you know, what is a store of value? It means something that will preserve its its value over time. And I think about it, I mean, Bitcoin's only really been on Radar, I guess, or has become actively traded for the last what three years, 2017, right? But since then, so 2018, 2019, 2020, we've had three corrections. Okay, the first two were a 70% fall in the space of a couple of weeks, right? And we've had a correction at the beginning of this year that was about 30%. So don't tell me that you know you may have ridden the wave and you may feeling very, very you know, trust mm-hmm. that you paid off the mortgage by investing. <laughs> if, you <laughs> know if you know how to <laughs> so sell out. like it, So the biggest yeah. advantage about you know, investing in, particularly in emerging markets, is the size of the entrance into emerging markets and, you know, other sort of illiquid, if you like, or unconventional investments is extremely wide. The size of the door to get out is extremely narrow. <laughs> so if something happens, that causes a stampede of investors wanting to, you know, cash in, then you know, beware the size of the exit, I would say. Um, so I don't think of it as a currency. but it obviously is something, it is something. It's, is it an asset? Well, an asset you think of as some intrinsic value. The Intrinsic value of Bitcoin is zero. So um, I'm going to, this is going to haunt me, but I'm saying my long-term price target for Bitcoin is zero. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's not going to go from 50,000 to half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Per Bitcoin in the meantime, okay, mm. so at some point, um, you know, and the more it becomes, if it does start to become more of a currency, then the authorities are going to take more and more issue because effectively, you know, they've lost control of monetary policy. Effectively, if something is circulating where they have no ability, which is where the whole the, the risk of sort of regulation, et cetera, comes from. So um, so I don't, you know, I'm, I'm glad that the National Australia Bank, we don't have... What would we call it product use of authorization, I think. So you can't come to now any shape or form and buy or sell Bitcoin. And I hope that remains the case. Um, because then I won't have to think about what <laughs> the right value is in the same way I do about the euro or the yen or the Australian dollar, for example. But um you know, but clearly it's there, it exists, and it's um, you know and it's proven to be you know a very attractive investment. But I still think of it as a I still think it relies on what we call the greater fall theory that um you know, the reason that i might be willing to buy it today is because i think i'll be able to sell it to you at a higher price tomorrow and uh, is that a good investment strategy then um, you know i'm not sure it is so, um, um who knows so um, all that but to say i've got you know no real strong views but um, but i think associating bitcoin as, as a currency as an alternative to the euro or the dollar i think is is pretty wide at the mark
1: yeah, I think most people understand we've got a long way to go before it is a means of exchange, which mm-hmm. is always what I understood currency to be, right? It would facilitate transactions. Exactly. So you didn't mm-hmm. have to go to the bootmaker and pay them in corn or something. You know, that was where that money came to exist in, and its wonderful purpose in the world. So I, we're yet at the point where you can pay for your goods and go in Bitcoin most of the time. Wow. Most of the time. I did come across a cafe in Brisbane. Though when you could travel more, two or three years ago, that said, yeah, you know, we accept Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, that's extraordinary. Even then, I was like, "Would you going to take 0.02% of Bitcoin to <laughs> pay for your
0: coffee? And it's My favourite Bitcoin story is, which was a few weeks ago, wasn't it, mm-hmm. the was punter in, in the UK who bought some Bitcoin and forgot about it and then
1: dumped oh, the hard
0: drive yeah. on his computer yeah. into, land, went into landfill, and he's now begging the local authority to and dig it up and find the hard drive because he reckons he's got 70 million pounds worth of bitcoin and he's offering to give the council 30 reward for for finding his hard drive and they're refusing to do it but uh,
1: there's a few of those stories there's also the guy so the only message
0: is if you do get into bitcoin
1: yeah
0: don't dump your computer in the recycling centre without
1: yeah
0: reminding yourself whether you might have some bitcoin on the hard
1: drive there's also the guy who uh put his on an encrypted whatever and has 10 guesses to what his passcode is, and he's used eight. <laughs> and he just, like, lies awake at night every night. And he's used you know, it's worth billions. He lies awake at night, <coughs> I can't remember what the oh, He's got two chances left to get his billions. <laughs> if not, you know, he's going to retire panellists. It's quite It's quite a... You can see what makes the news. It's a really no wracking story, I feel, for this work. Like, it sounds terrible. You'd rather never have happened. <laughs> uh, Ray, you and your team produce awesome insights, Nothing to do with what we've just discussed, people who've lost their Bitcoin hard drives um, or their hard drives with Bitcoin on them. Um, but helping people understand currency, the Morning call is amazing. Anyone who hasn't listened to it, you can listen to it on Naphtray. We publish it every morning. Um, and heaps of people find it that way. But you can also just get it on the phone, which is how most people access it, I'm sure. And all of the updates and insights you guys give across a whole variety of markets are awesome. How do people follow you?
0: Well, I mean, some of it is super. Is, you know, Easily accessible through, mm-hmm. I think, through the Business Research Insights section of the nav.com.au site. I think you can access the morning call there. It's a, sort of, it's a public good, if you like. Similarly, um, the daily notes that, uh, that me and some of my team write, I think, are accessible there. Um, and some of the economic analysis is there as well. So it's quite easy to access there. Um, but to really get, if you want the full suite of, um, of the research that we provide, particularly in FX, obviously, which is my area, then. Um, you need to have a relationship with, with an <laughs> And so through you know, your relationship manager, et cetera, you can reach out and it's really easy for us to set you up to, to receive you know, a whole suite of research. Um, there's Restrictions on depending on whether you're a, a professional or a wholesale investor or retail. So we're very careful about you know, who sees what, but, um, but really as long as you've got some sort of relationship with an we're happy to, to set you up to, to receive what you want.
1: Bray Hatchell from NAB Markets, FX in particular. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. Thanks, Jim.
1: As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. We hope it has been helpful for you in your journey to creating wealth. FX is probably not the thing that's going to create your wealth, to be honest, but it's very good at protecting it if you know uh, or if you have some idea about where it's going to go. We always love hearing from you. So if you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics, please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au.
1: We're really excited to let you know more about our new online learning tool for investing, NAB Trade Academy. It is free for all NabTrade clients and we're super keen for you to learn more about investing with courses from beginner to advanced. Learn at your own pace through dynamic and interactive learning experiences. Just visit nabtrade.com.au slash academy for more information on how to get started.
0: Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.